Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Howdy, hi there, friends and neighbors. This is your old pal Terry from Texas. Got another story for you. The last show, I talked about a living fossil fish, the coelacanth. Let's look at a story from Australia that seems to indicate the presence of another living fossil and not-so-friendly specimen. Megalania is an extinct species of giant monitor lizard, part of the megafaunal assemblage that inhabited Australia during the Pleistocene era. It is the largest terrestrial lizard known to have existed, reaching an estimated length of between 11 and a half to 23 feet and weighing between 214 to 4,277 pounds. But the fragmentary nature of known remains makes estimates highly uncertain. They just can't find enough of the thing to be exact. Megalania is thought to have had a similar ecology to the living Komodo dragon. The youngest fossil remains of giant monitor lizards in Australia date to around 50,000 years ago. The first indigenous settlers of Australia might have encountered Megalania and been a factor in their extinction. You think? Crikey, that's a big bloody lizard. Let's eat it. Australia certainly has its share of large and deadly reptiles. The saltwater crocodile grows as large as 23 feet and is definitely a seriously deadly predator with a diet that includes the occasional luckless human. The salty, as they are affectionately known in the top end, are in fact the world's largest species of crocodile. Then there is the Parenti, Australia's largest monitor lizard. It grows, according to current scientific wisdom, to a maximum of around 8 feet in length, a little smaller than the world's largest monitor lizard, the Komodo dragon, which grows to a length of around 10 feet. There may, however, be other monster reptiles surviving undetected in the Australian bush. Monster reptiles like the 18-foot-long Prenti, the deadly and unnatural Gondoranup, the gigantic serpent of the Mali scrub, and perhaps even a reptilian holdout 
from the era of the megafauna, the megalania. There is no room for doubt about the existence of the Parenti, a gigantic lizard of Central Australia, reported the Cairns Post on 14 of August 1931. An early caller at the Telegraph office was Mr. B.W.G. Phillips, a great friend of the late T.C. Wollaston, who discusses the Prenti in his book, Opal, We of the Never Never. The Prenti, according to Wollaston, has leisure and space to grow properly. It is powerful in limbs, beautiful in skin, its reach exceptional, eight feet in length when its tongue is fully extended. Its color is gamboge yellow with blackish gray markings and perfectly round spots as large as a shilling down the sides and neck like a pedigree Ayrshire. The Prenti has a long head and brilliant eye and when it stands up with stiffened legs and arched body, its head bent forward, it looks a formidable beast. But Wollaston's eight foot long Prenti while formidable, would have been no match for the 18-foot-long monster lizard reported in Darwin's Northern Standard just five months later in January of 1940. In Seeking an 18-Foot Lizard, it was reported that Fred Blakely, leader of the first expedition to find the legendary Lassiter's Reef and known as the Bicycle Bushman, would soon set off in search of another outback legend the giant printy lizard of Central Australia. He hopes to bring back one alive. He claims to be one of the few white men who has seen a giant printy. He describes it as a mammoth lizard, about 18 feet from snout to tail tip. Its claw tracks are about six feet apart. The claws are sharp and poisonous and inflict a wound which festers quickly and rarely heals. The giant printy, he says, attacks chiefly with its tail. It can fell an ox with a sweeping blow. It is faster than a crocodile, and its gait resembles a gallop. The Aborigines called the printy a devil devil, Blakely told the Northern Standard. For the local Aborigines, this giant lizard instilled great fear. Even the glare of the giant printy was enough to cause certain death. Blakely recounted the story of one aborigine who apparently died at Alice Springs a week after being glared at by one such monster reptile. According to Blakely, a subsequent medical examination found no cause of death. This wasn't the first time that Blakely had regaled the public with stories of giant lizards roaming the Australian outback. Nine years earlier, Blakely's giant printy was discussed in Hobart's Mercury. On August 15th of 1931, the paper published an article titled Central Australian Dragon, a Fearsome Creature. Scientific circles are keenly interested in reports by Central Australian prospectors now in Sydney of a fierce and gigantic lizard known as the printy which is said to occur in wide spaces of the interior. Mr. Fred Blakely, leader of the Centralian Gold Exploration Expedition, 
and a brother of the federal minister, declared that this remarkable creature, which grows up to 15 feet in length, has been seen by white men. In the article, Blakely recounted the alarming experience of Big Jim, an old prospector who stood 6 feet 8 inches tall and weighed 18 stone. Big Jim said he was working along, scanning the ground, as is the habit of the opal fossicker, when he heard a peculiar sound and looking up, saw an enormous reptile challenging him. The man snatched up some rocks, whereupon the printy lashed its tail, undulated its back, and came springing towards him. As it did so, it uttered a roar that mingled the bark of a dog and the growl of a lion. Big Jim promptly ran for his life. Blakely said that he found the tracks of the creature the next day, and they measured the distance from one outside claw to another as 6 feet 3 inches and estimated its length at 15 feet. And in a letter to the Townsville Daily Bulletin on January 15th of 1937, Albert Morrow of Mapperley Station, Alice Springs, offered further insight into the Central Australian printing. What we do get here in Central Australia and parts of the Northern Territory, which I do not think are anywhere else in Australia, is the giant goanna or parenti, better known as the printi. About four months ago in Alice Springs, I was shown the skin of one ten feet in length. It was killed at Wynikey Goldfield and was killed for food. Strange as it may sound, it is very good tucker and the flesh is white. In May of 1899, an article by explorer, historian, and journalist Ernest Favenick appeared in Sydney's Evening News. In A Tale of Central Australia, Favenick wrote of an expedition party's terrifying encounter with deadly monster lizards the Aborigines referred to as Gondoranup. It was a brilliant moonlight night, and the party were smoking after their meal when they were startled by an agonized cry from one of the horses. There was no sound more startling and painful to hear than the semi-human cry of a horse in mortal pain and terror, and the men, starting to their feet, picked up their firearms and hastened in the direction of the sound. One horse, a gray, was lunging frantically at its hobbles, rearing and uttering the terrified scream of pain that had startled them. As they approached, they saw, clinging to the horse's throat, with claws buried in at the shoulders, and its jaws having a firm grip on the poor creature's throat, what appeared to be a monstrous lizard. The horse, as they approached, stood still, trembling all over, but the horrible thing fastened on it never moved. Putting his carbine close to its head at an angle that would not hurt the horse, Murray fired. The claws of the thing relaxed, but the jaws never opened, and the frightened horse began turning around and around with the dead creature hanging on its throat. Then it staggered, fell, and with a shuddering gasp, died. The creature that it attacked it was, in fact, an enormous sort of lizard with a huge disproportionate head. The iron jaws, armed with cruel teeth, 
still retained their death grip on the horse's throat from which the blood was now pouring. While engaged in looking at it, Dandy was seized in the side by another of the horrible creatures. Rafter, the other man, killed it, but not before it inflicted a horrible wound. Murray called to them to catch the horses and get away as soon as they could, for others of the brutes were coming. Dandy could do nothing but stagger to camp, while Murray and Rafter ran after the horses to drive them up. Dandy heard shooting and shots, but the others did not come back. He heard another of the creatures crawling toward him, and overcome with blind terror, he fled. Dandy and Rafter would soon die there in the hot desert from the wounds inflicted by the Gondorana and the horses that had been attacked, only their skeletons remained, the ferocious reptiles having picked the flesh clean. When they approached the camp, all was silent. Martin shouted for Dandy, but got no answer. Poor Dandy was dead. The bite of the Gondorana seemed to be fatal. Murray never would tell the whole details of his fight with the lizards on the bank of the Salt Lake. The subject seemed repulsive to him and he swore that you could hack the bodies off the creatures and their jaws would still remain fixed. They were not natural, he said, and old blackfellows of that part who remember them say so too. It is not only deadly monster lizards that are said to inhabit the Australian outback, Further south, in the semi-arid Mallee districts of Victoria and South Australia, there are stories of another monster reptile, a gigantic serpent-like creature the local aboriginals call the Mendai. The name of this creature is the Mendai. He is described as a serpent of immense size and length with a black mane. His girth is that of a good-sized gum tree and his length that of a spar fit for the main topmast of a 74, which is a sailing ship, while others declare him to be like a river or a road, a method of expressing their ideas of a thing without a beginning or end. Like the Mallee's original inhabitants, settlers to the region have also encountered the great serpent of the Mallee scrub. A squatter on the lower Murray, in riding through the Mallee, a few miles from where the two men saw the enormous monster, met a snake which reared itself up on the same height as his horse's head, and from the strike of which he states that he had a very narrow escape. Other white men have, at various times, seen extraordinarily large reptiles in the same quarter, and there can be no doubt that an unusually sized snake does exist whose habitat is the Mallee scrub. But like the famous bunyip, it manages to keep itself very much out of sight. There is no doubt that an enormous monster reptile once stalked the Australian bush. Megalania is believed to have died out around 30,000 to 40,000 years ago. It is likely, however, that the giant reptile shared the Australian landscape with the uh, continent's first human inhabitants for thousands of years. When it comes to the size of Megalania, there is a great deal of conjecture. Estimates of the creature's length range from 15 to 26 feet. 
Its weight has been established as anywhere between 730 pounds and several tons. Whatever the true size of Megalania, it must have once projected a formidable presence in the Australian bush. The bunyip, mentioned earlier in the previous story, is a creature from Australian Aboriginal mythology said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. The bunyip is part of traditional Aboriginal beliefs and stories throughout Australia, while its name varied according to tribal nomenclature. In his 2001 book, writer Robert Holden identified at least nine regional variations of the creature known as the bunyip across Aboriginal Australia. The origin of the word bunyip has been traced to the Wimba Wimba or Wurgaya language of the Aboriginal people of Victoria in southeastern Australia. Europeans recorded various written accounts of bunyips in the early and mid-19th century as they began to settle across the country. The word bunyip is usually translated by Aboriginal Australians today as devil or evil spirit. This contemporary translation may not accurately represent the role of the bunyip in pre-contact Aboriginal mythology or its possible origins before written accounts were made. Some modern sources allude to a linguistic connection between the bunyip and Bunjil, a mythic great man who made the mountains, rivers, man, and all the animals. The word bunyip first appeared in the Sydney Gazette in 1812. It was used by Jonas Ives to describe a large black animal like a seal with a terrible voice which creates terror among the blacks. In the 1850s, bunyip was also used as a synonym for an imposter, a pretender, a humbug, and the like in the broader Australian community. The term bunyip aristocracy was first coined in 1853 to describe Australians aspiring to be aristocrats. In the early 1990s, Prime Minister Paul Keating used this term to describe members of the conservative Liberal Party of Australia opposition. The word bunyip can still be found in a number of Australian contexts, including place names such as the Bunyip River, which flows into Western Port Bay in southern Victoria, and the town of Bunyip in Victoria. Descriptions of bunyips vary widely. George French Angus may have collected a description of a bunyip in his account of a water spirit from the Murundi people of the Murray River before 1847, stating it is much dreaded by them. It inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most usual form is said to be that of an enormous starfish. The Chalicum Bunyip, an outline image of a Bunyip carved by Aboriginal people in the bank of Fiery Creek near Ararat, Victoria, was first recorded by the Australasian newspaper in 1851. According to the report, the Bunyip had been speared 
after killing an Aboriginal. Antiquarian Raynell Johns claimed that until the mid-50s, Aboriginal people made a habit of visiting the spot and retracing the outlines of the figure of the bunyip, which is about 11 paces long and 4 paces in extreme breadth. The outline image no longer exists. Robert Bro Smith's Aborigines of Victoria, written in 1878, devoted 10 pages to the bunyip, but concluded, in truth, little is known among the, the blacks respecting its form covering our habits. They appear to have been in such dread of it as to have been unable to take note of its characteristics. Sure, you're scared of something, you don't look at it. The bunyips, presumably seen by witnesses, according to their descriptions, most commonly fit one of two categories. 60% of sightings resemble seals or swimming dogs and 20% of sightings are of long-necked creatures with small heads. The remaining descriptions are ambiguous beyond categorization. The seal dog variety is most often described as being between 4 and 6 feet long with a shaggy black or brown coat. According to reports, these bunyips have round heads resembling a bulldog, prominent ears, no tail, and whiskers like a seal or otter. The long neck variety is allegedly between 5 and 15 feet long and is said to have black or brown fur, large ears, small tusks, a head like a horse or an emu, an elongated maned neck about 3 feet long with many folds of skin, and a horse-like tail. The bunyip has been described by natives as amphibious, nocturnal, and inhabiting lakes, rivers, and swamps. Bunyips, according to Aboriginal mythology, can swim swiftly with fins or flippers. They have a loud, roaring call and feed on crayfish. Down here in Texas, we call them crawfish. Though some legends portray them as bloodthirsty predators of humans, particularly women and children, bunyip eggs are allegedly laid in platypus nests. The bunyip appears in Ngaranjeri dreaming as a water spirit called the Mulyawank, which would get anyone who took more than their fair share of fish from the waterways or take children if they got too close to the water. The stories taught practical means of ensuring long-term survival for the Ngaranjeri embodying care for country and its people. There have been various attempts to understand and explain the origin of the bunyip as a physical entity over the past 150 years. Writing in 1933, Charles Finner suggested that it was likely that the actual origin of the bunyip myth lies in the fact that from time to time, seals have made their way up the Murray and Darling Rivers. He provided examples of seals found as far inland as Overland Corner, Laxton, Canargo, and reminded readers that the smooth fur, prominent apricot eyes, and the bellowing cry are characteristics of the seal, especially southern elephant seals and leopard seals. 
Another suggestion is that the bunyip may be a cultural memory of extinct Australian marsupials, such as the Diprotodon, Zygomaturus, Nototherum, or Palerchestes. This connection was first formally made by Dr. George Bennett of the Australian Museum in 1871. In the early 1990s, paleontologist Pat Vickers-Rich and geologist Neil Archibald also cautiously suggested that Australian legends perhaps had stemmed from an acquaintance with prehistoric bones or even living prehistoric animals themselves. When confronted with the remains of some of the now extinct Australian marsupials, aboriginals would often identify them as the bunyip. They also note that legends about the Mi'irong Peringmal of Western Victoria Aborigines may allude to the extinct giant birds like the Dromomythidae. In 2017, an Australian bird life article, Carl Brandt suggested Aboriginal encounters with the southern cassowary inspired the myth. According to the first written description of the bunyip from 1845, the creature, which laid pale blue eggs of immense size, possessed deadly claws, powerful hind legs, and a brightly colored chest, and an emu-like head, characteristics shared with the Australian cassowary. As the creature's bill was described as having serrated projections, each like the bone of the stingray, this bunyip was associated with the indigenous people of far north Queensland, renowned for their spears, tipped with stingray barbs and their proximity to the cassowary's Australian range. Another association to the bunyip is the shy Australasian bittern. During the breeding season, the male call of this marsh-dwelling bird is a low-pitched boom. Hence, it is occasionally called the bunyip bird. In July of 1845, the Geelong Advertiser announced the discovery of fossils found near Geelong under the headline, Wonderful Discovery of a New Animal. This was a continuation of a story on fossil remains from the previous issue. The newspaper continued, On the bone being shown to an intelligent black, he at once recognized it as belonging to the bunyip, which he declared he had seen. On being requested to make a drawing of it, he did so without hesitation. The account noted a story of an aboriginal woman being killed by a bunyip, and the most direct evidence of all, that a man named Mumbleran, who showed several deep wounds in his breast made by the claws of the animal. The account provided this description of the creature. The bunyip, then, is represented as uniting the characteristics of a bird and an alligator. It has a head resembling an emu with a long bill, at the extremity of which is a transverse projection on each side, with serrated edges like the bone of the stingray. Its body and legs partake of the nature of the alligator. The hind legs are remarkably thick and strong, and the forelegs are much longer but still of great strength. The extremities are furnished with long claws, but the blacks say its usual method of killing its prey is by hugging it to death. When in the water, it swims like a frog, 
and when on shore it walks on its hind legs with its head erect, in which position it measures 12 to 13 feet in height. Shortly after this account appeared, it was repeated in other Australian newspapers, and it appears to be the, f the first use of the word bunyip as in a written publication. Is there truly a horrendously oversized lizard type of super predator in the Australian bush? Is there truly as horrendous a creature as the bunyip? Could Australia, as modern as its cities are, still harbor throwbacks from times past such as the Megalania, the Bunyip, and others like the Yowie? I don't know, but I am not going to go there to find out. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from the witching hour and Aaron has instituted a new area called entertaining short films that's exactly what they are they're just short stories nothing in particular no particular genre just entertaining remember that you can go to your app store whether you have Apple or Android Download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the, all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments, or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.